0: Lord, Amen. Let's bring it over to the key of C. I'm amazed that You love me, Amen. I'm amazed
1: that You love me. Come on, sing with me now. I'm amazed how You can and through Your precious blood, I found pardon. And my sins are washed, they're all washed away All my sins are washed away First verse No one knew how alone I was feeling and the emptiness I tried so hard to hide. Though I laughed and said my life was fine without you, I was covering up the secret tears I cried. Then one day someone told me of your mercy. And the love you showed on a hill called Calvary. There you died and purchased my redemption. But when you broke sin's power and set my spirit free. Oh, I'm amazed. Thank you, Lord. Just yes, how how you care, and through your precious blood I found pardon. Oh, and my sins are washed; they're all washed away. All my sins are washed. Yes, it's true, there have been days when i failed you. But Lord, you know the many times I've gone astray. But I've learned your love is stronger than my weakness. And your ear is open every time I pray no one else has ever cared for me like you, Lord. Other friends can never be as close to me. And I'm not afraid to face the problems of tomorrow. I know in you are everything i live. ever need. I'm amazed, oh yes. Oh Lord, I'm amazed at how you came. And through your precious blood, I found pardon, and my sins are washed. They're all washed away All my sins are washed again now Away And I'm a man That you love me Oh Lord I'm a man And how you care Your precious love I found pardon and my sins are washed they're all washed away all oh, my sins are washed away. Hallelujah. You glad your sins are washed away,
0: man buried in the sea of God's forgetfulness. Hallelujah. What a mo- wonderful and powerful thing that is to us, friends. Man, he's so good. Man, we're going to take our needs before the Lord at this time. Amen. I'm going to invite Brother Mike Holloway to take these for us. It's good to see him and his wife in the church today. Man, it's just good to have you back with us, brother. I see the wards back there. It's good to see Brother Tom and Sister Kim. Amen. Brother David and Sister Karen. Man, Just... It's just so nice to be able to gather and worship with everyone. Amen. So we just want to take this time, amen, and present our needs to the Lord. Amen. If you would keep the Paschal family in your prayers, Brother Joe's still recovering, doing much better. Amen. Keep them in your prayers. Uh, we have a request for Sister Sheila McComas. Amen. She's dealing with some back pain. If you would remember her in prayer, uh, the Pritchard family, Ben and Sister uh, Ben and Sister Rachel, amen, if you'd remember them in prayer. Uh, they're still recovering from the virus, amen, going through their quarantine. Uh, we have the Smith family, amen, we want to remember them, Brother Richard, Sister Mary, also recovering, doing better, but we want to keep them in prayer. Amen, we have a special need for Brother Roger Clayville to remember him in prayer. Also, Brother Roger Gibbs is requesting prayer, amen, if you'd remember him. Uh, and we want to remember Sister Karen Buchanan. Uh, she is still in recovery. Amen. That's all I have at this time. Do you have unspoken needs? Amen. God knows those needs on your heart, friend. And we want you to hold that before him as we pray. Come now, Brother Mike. Take these needs before the Lord.
2: Praise the Lord, church. Actually, before we have prayer, I just wanted to uh, thank everyone for prayers that you offered on my behalf actually I've been able to stream a few of the services while we've been out and, and uh, so I've heard the name mentioned in prayer requests here at the altar and, and uh, so I know that there's been folks thinking about it and praying on our behalf and so I just want to thank you for it actually um, I feel a whole lot better than the that I did last time I was here um, last time I was here I had a hard time walking from my car to the sanctuary and I uh, feel like I can go play a game of basketball right now if I wanted to but uh, so I, I thank God for that improvement. Um, but uh, the doctors still are talking surgery on a heart valve. And i got a meeting on tomorrow with a new doctor who wants to do another examination, which will be the third one, to determine exactly the condition of the heart. And um, I'm trusting God that when this third exam is finished, that he'll see a different report. So I just actually, again, just keep us in prayer. We really appreciate all the prayers that you offer on my behalf. This is bow our head. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we... Just come before you, Lord, sincerely giving you thanks. Lord, thanks for all that you've done. Thanks for the revelation that you've given our heart, the peace, the comfort of knowing you, God, knowing that there's someone that we can turn to in our times of trouble. Lord, knowing there's someone that loves us, oh God, even more than we love ourselves, Lord, that you're our healer, you're our provider, you're our keeper. And Lord, I just want to ask oh God, in the name of Jesus Christ, Lord, you've heard the many prayer requests that are read here all to the altar this day. Lord, you know the needs upon the hearts of the people, even those that weren't written down and those that weren't submitted to be spoken, O oh God. But yet I know that there's many right now in this sanctuary, Lord, that have needs from you, Lord. There's things in their lives, O oh God, that they desperately would like for you to move on their behalf. And so, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, I just ask that you would take each one of these cases, Lord. I know that, oh God, they're upon your heart even more than they're upon the hearts of the people present today. And, Lord, I know that you're caring, that you've already provided the way, O oh God, that each one of them can be met by the blood and by the name of Jesus Christ, so Lord, we just commit them unto you. Believing you, Lord, thanking you, Lord. Oh God, counting every one of them done. Oh God, for you setting your word that your word is yea and amen. So you promised, oh God, healing for us, oh God, and you promised deliverance for us, and you provided you would provide for us according to all of our needs. We were just trusting you. So Lord, this morning we're doing just that. We're bringing these before you, trusting you, Lord, thanking you in the precious name of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I ask that you bless the service. Lord, we've come in expectation. Lord, we have needs, not just, oh God, in a temporal, oh God, in a natural. But, Lord, or even more so in the spiritual, Lord, we recognize the hour is great and we're living at the very end of the end time. So, Lord, we ask, Lord God, that you will speak to us in a special way, Lord. Anoint our hearts with faith, Lord, that we'll be able to believe every promise that you've given for the bride in this hour. Lord, that we'll not doubt one of them, we'll not use reasoning to wonder whether it can be for us or can be for this hour. But, Lord, may we punctuate your word with a yea and amen, and, Lord, believe all that you have for us. Anoint the minister, Lord, that he might speak to our hearts anoint our hearts with faith that we might be able to receive the things that we'll hear. Lord, we ask these things as we commit the service in your hands. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. amen. Thank you, Brother Mike. You can
0: have your seats. Man, let's sing a song together. Hosanna, blessed be the rock. QC. Hosanna, blessed
1: be the rock. Blessed be the rock of my salvation, Hosanna. Blessed be the rock, blessed be the rock of my salvation. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, for He is worthy to be praised. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, for He is worthy to be praised. Hosanna, oh, blessed be the rock. Oh, blessed be the rock of my salvation. Hosanna, blessed be the rock. My salvation and glory, glory to his name, he lives and reigns forever. Oh, glory, glory to his name, he lives and reigns forever. rock of my salvation. Hosanna, oh blessed be the rock, and blessed be the rock of my salvation. Jehovah Jireh is his name, for he provided for my name. Jehovah Jireh is his name for he provided all my need. Hosanna, oh blessed be the rock, oh blessed be the rock of my salvation. Hosanna, blessed be the rock, oh blessed. Rock of my salvation. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, for oh, he is worthy to be praised. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, for oh, he is worthy. Blessed be the rock Blessed be the rock Of my salvation Hosanna Oh yes Blessed be the rock Of my salvation And I will sing Of the mercies of the Lord Forever I will sing Oh I will sing I will sing of the mercies of the Lord Forever I will sing of the mercies of the Lord And with my mouth shall I make known Thy faithfulness, O Lord, thy faithfulness And with my mouth shall I make known Thy faithfulness Of the Lord forever, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord. Hallelujah! I'm walking with the King. Oh, praise his holy name! I am walking with the King. Hallelujah! I'm walking with the King every Hallelujah, I'm walking with the King, oh, praise His holy name, I am walking with the King, hallelujah, I'm walking with the King, every day I'm walking with the King, stand and sing it, hallelujah, I'm walking with the King, oh. I will enter, I will enter His gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter His courts with praise. I will say this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for He has made me glad. Oh, He has made me glad. Oh, He has made me glad. I will rejoice for He has made me glad. He has made me glad. Oh, He has made me glad. I will rejoice for He has made me glad. And I will enter His gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter His courts with praise. And I will sing I will rejoice for he has made me glad. Oh, he has made me glad. Yes, he has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad. Oh, he has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. Why don't you give him a
0: hand of praise? Hallelujah. Amen. Praise you, Lord Jesus. Amen. It's just such a just a, such a peace in my heart. Amen. When I get together with God's people and lift his name, Amen, it just lifts my spirit. Amen. Just to hear you all sing that way. Amen. As our pastor makes his way forward, let's sing that song, God is good. Amen. God is good. All the time. He put a song
1: up. This heart of mine God is good All the time Through the darkest night His light will shine God is good Oh God is good All the time And you're walking Through the valleys And there's shadows all around Do not fear He will guide you He will keep you safe and sound God is good. Oh, God is
3: good, isn't it? Let's give him an offering of praise. <laughs> praise the Lord. Let's sing one more little song It sounds so nice this morning, uh, Have Your Way, and uh, we'll look to him this morning. Let's just sing it together now as we prepare our hearts and uh, approach him this morning. <clears throat> Have
4: your way. Lord have your time now. Close your eyes. Just sing it to him now. Lord, have, have your way. Yes, have your Your word into our hearts.
3: Lord Jesus, our great bridegroom, we pause at the beginning of this service and invite your presence, Lord, to be with us in a very special way. We are a people, Lord, who are We're proud of the fact that we are identified as Christians. We're very proud of the fact that we are chosen of you. Lord, we are honored to be your guests this morning. And just to be able to come into your presence is a great thing. Lord, we want to say this morning that we love you with all of our hearts. And Lord, in a very real sense, Lord, we have many, many reasons to give thanks and to rejoice over what you do and how you do it, Lord you've touched so many lives and healed so many broken bodies father we want to thank you for that and we ask your blessing upon all these that are gathered here today lord those that are listening we commit our every need in your hands knowing lord that you're a god who heals and you're a god who cares about everything we go through and father god we bind all of our requests today we lay them at your feet and we believe lord that you are present to heal and you're present lord to, to deliver and to bring joy and to restore hearts again. So, Father, we just give you the day, we give you the service, we give you every need. And, Father, we pray now that you would just come and take the word and anoint it to our hearts. We pray a special blessing upon Sister Hannah today, Lord. We stand together in faith and believe, Lord, that you're going to touch her today, Lord, and restore her, we commit her into your hands now. And ask your blessing upon all that's done in the name of Jesus Christ and for your glory. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. God bless you. Brother Mike, come on up here. Come on up here. We are glad to have Brother Mike with us today. Amen. And I believe Brother Mike's been touched of the Lord. And Brother Mike, I want you just to greet the folks, if you don't mind, and uh, tell them your, uh, your testimony here in the last, last little
2: while. step up just a, just a little bit. Oh, okay, there we go. All right, thank you. Um, well, I shared part of it just a moment ago, but uh, I guess, I don't know, about eight months ago, maybe a little bit more than that, started noticing some changes in the body and uh, having some shortness of breath, different things, led up to things that got really uh, extreme probably about uh, maybe two months ago. And so we decided that we needed to get in contact with the doctor because obviously there was something medically wrong. So I actually contacted a cardiologist in Columbia, South Carolina, who I happen to know personally. Um, He gave me like a 20-minute phone uh, consultation, just asking a lot of questions, trying to understand what was going on. And after which, we went down uh, to Columbia for an exam. He wanted to admit me. The day he examined me, um, I told him I couldn't do that because I had a business. I needed to go home and at least communicate with a few clients. Let them know I was going to disappear before they tried to contact me and wonder what happened. So we did. We came home for two days, made a few arrangements, went back to Columbia. They admitted me for the hospital for five days, uh, and mainly to get blood fluids off my body as well as get a couple of vitals back in proper order because some things were really out of whack. One of which was my blood pressure, which was in the 200s, and so uh, so. They admitted me for five days, got those things under control, ran a few exams while I was in the hospital, uh, found out I had heart failure was the first diagnosis, but the more extreme condition, which was life-threatening, was the uh, aortic valve, was uh, severely leaking. And the blood that goes out of my heart, that's supposed to keep my blood flow going, was actually going out of the heart and dropping right back in. So I only had a portion of blood that was making it through the system. And so that's why they want to operate, to see if they can repair that condition. So uh, so anyway, that's the situation I'm in. They wanna do a third exam to reevaluate that, that valve because the first two exams was not able to reveal the full extent of the condition um, because of the way the blood was dropping back in. They just couldn't see it. So there's evidently some third exam that's available through science that would give a more accurate reading of what's happening with that valve. And I'm trusting that when they run that third exam, that God will confirm the case is closed. Amen. So, uh, so again, that's sort of where we're at right now. Monday I'm supposed to see the new cardiologist. He's going to schedule me with the specialist who's going to run that third <laughs> exam. And then once that takes place, then they want to decide then when to operate. But I'm trusting that when they see the third exam, they'll say, this is not matching what we received from Columbia. All right. So that's sort of where things hey, are right now. Amen. Amen. Wonderful. Thank, thank, thank you, you, Brother Mike. God, God bless you. I'll take God
3: the microphone here unless you want it, unless you want to preach this morning.
2: <laughs>
3: Three is a good number, so I want Brother Mike to explain that. Thank you, musicians. We'll let you take your seats here and uh, just explain that uh, so we could uh, share that with you this morning. Well, I was coming down the road this morning, and I got a text, and I'd like to read the text to you. It's from Joe Pascoe. He said, Good morning, bud. I appreciate just staying in touch with Sister Lisa and praying throughout all of this over the uh, over this uh, whole ordeal. He said in the coming weeks, he said it's going to be exceptionally rough. Remember me in your prayers. And he's referring to uh, his physical therapy that he's uh, gone through. And uh, so I, I I just texted him back. Uh, we we were going back and forth there, and he, I, I told him I said. It's so very good to see your text pop up like that. And I said, we prayed for you, and many around the world have prayed for you. And I said, God has preserved your life for a reason. He will see you through this coming week as well. He said, yes, I, he said, yes, He has preserved me for some reason. And he said, I miss everyone. I just thought I'd share that with you. Uh, he is um, in Princeton, and, uh, Princeton, West Virginia, and that's about an hour from where they live, and he's there. Uh, undergoing physical therapy. They've already put him through two days of therapy. They give him a day off today, and I believe he's streaming. So we welcome Brother Joe uh, to the service today. And uh, then he goes into this uh, intense therapy so that they can get him back on his feet and uh, back through, back out again. And so we appreciate that uh, very much and appreciate God's goodness uh, in his life. Uh, Sister Hannah Whitlock was just not feeling good, so she's out. She's in my office actually just uh, resting there. But if you don't mind, just keep her in prayer during the service. I forgot to tell Jaron that we want to remember Brother Ben McCafferty. His family is here today, but Brother Ben is in Iowa where his uh, grandparents are, and they're not doing very well, so he went out to be with them for a couple of days. Also, Sister Becky Uh, is not here today. Virginia led the nation in power outages uh, yesterday and uh, uh, our house was okay but uh, her father's house, Brother Fulcher's house, uh, went out about six o'clock last night so we had to uh, relocate him to our place and uh, uh, that's where she is today. Uh, She's in in our place and she's uh, listening today but that's where she is. also as well, uh, we want to uh, thank God for touching Martin Dilling. Uh, he had um, been scheduled to do surgery and didn't have to have it done by the time he got to the doctor on, on Monday, so uh, we're very thankful for that and um, thanking God for touching him. Now, um, I got a letter this week that I wanted to share with you and uh, just uh, give me a minute here to do a couple of these preliminaries here. When you, uh, you know, as much, as much activity as we do and as much uh, stuff that goes on here, I get lots and lots of letters, but I brought this one today because I wanted to read to you. And this one reads this way. It says, dear brother and sister coffee, I'm hoping you can use this, and these are $1 bills, I'm hoping you can use this to help with the Bibles and books. It is so wonderful to know that the people in all these countries are going to have them soon. I love you so much. Morgan Cockman. Morgan, and I called her up especially, and I said uh, to, to, I, I especially thanked her for her offering for the uh, for the books, and, and uh, that's uh, just a wonderful reflection, not only of how she feels, but how her parents feel, and also how things she's learning in church and and in Sunday school and so forth. So uh, we were real uh, real thankful for that, and I thought I'd bring that this morning just to show you. Now, in having said that, Morgan, this is for you, all right, because I wanted to show you this this morning. This is uh, something that came to me this morning first thing. And because this was recorded in Africa in church this morning, um, it's fresh or hot off the press And they record these things over there with their phones. And for some reason, there's some technological glitch that does not allow uh, us to be able to uh, have the sound broadcast in the church. We can do the video part, but we can't do the, uh, the, the audio part. So what I want you to do is just listen. These are two little clips here that we're going to play. And... Um, just just let me coordinate here so that we'd have it. And this is, go ahead, Jeremy, if you would. four books that have just arrived there in Zambia, and they put them all up on the platform, and they're going by and picking out books there, so they have their own copies. This is after church this morning. Steele's book, Adoption, 70 Weeks, in the Church Age book. And fade that out Wonderful. Morgan, that was for you. Now I got one more that I wanted to show you. They went outside in the church uh, after church and they all gathered out there and they were uh, saying thank you for the books they received okay this is their, uh, this is their word of thanks to all of all of you for receiving those books. It's the rainy season there. That's why the umbrellas are there. Wonderful. That's Brother Davey Mwanza who's there and uh, he was recording uh, the, the, um, the crowd receiving the material and they were just uh, very excited about all that. So you're the first folks in the world to see that, uh, see that little clip there this morning. Now let me do uh, let me do another little part here this morning if we can. February 15th is Sister Arwen's birthday. She's not here. She's coming. Can me hear this a little bit later? 17th is oh sorry. 17th is Annie Godwin's birthday. Annie, how old are you going to be on your birthday? Three years old. Three years old. If I could, I'd get her to come up and sing happy birthday. She's the best at singing happy birthday, next to Henry. And Brother Jaron Brown's birthday is also on the 17th, wherever Brother Jaron is. Good to have the Visakis here today. God bless you. Uh, February 19th is Johanna Irish's birthday. Sister Johanna, how are you? How old are you going to be? 11 years old. Wow. You know what that means? Okay. So this is Brother Anwar's uh, brother over on the uh, right-hand side and giving out books here in Pakistan. This was very successful to print the books in Pakistan and get them uh, produced within the country so they didn't have to go across the border. And uh, that's quite an age range there. You have an older sister who's on the, uh, the far side, and then this little girl is sitting up on a, on a table or something there, but they're all... Uh, they've all got their books. Now, uh, for, them to, uh, for them to have books and to be able to read, that's a real uh, great blessing for them to be able to have that over there. And here's some of the brothers here who are uh, receiving their books as well, and some of the sisters. Uh, these are all around the, the nation of Pakistan there. And this is the group here that we just saw, the little clip that was there. This is the church at Ahsoka. And this was after service uh, February 14th today, and the believers are blessed to have the message, the shout, in their hands. We're all uh, very happy, very much happy, and God bless you greatly for your work. And I'll send more pictures uh, later on today. So uh, these are uh, these are folks who are receiving books now for the very very first time. Never been anything in their uh, language uh, until these books have been done uh, by Brother Monza and uh, now available to them. So they're just really excited about having that for sure. So uh, we'll keep you updated there. Let's stand to our feet this morning. Let's just look in the Word. i got another note here. Uh, everyone in Sister Laura's Sunday school class should pick up a book from the box on the bench at the door when they leave service today. So that's for all of Sister Laura's class uh, at the door this afternoon. Let's read in 1 John chapter 4, 1 John the 4th chapter, verse 7 and 8. We're going to change gears a little bit this morning and uh, talk a little bit about a subject that's dear to all of our hearts. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. And he that loveth not knoweth not God. For God is love. Now I want you to notice the next verse here, because this is important. In this, in this was manifested the love of God toward us. Because that God sent his only begotten son into the world, that we might live through him. May the Lord add his blessing. You may be seated. A year ago, minus one day, We had the last event uh, that was able to be attended by anybody uh, at the hotel up here in uh, the Crown Plaza when we had the marriage banquet. It was a year ago, minus one day, so it was the 15th of February when we actually had it. And that was the last public event uh, everyone attended. Sister Sarah Buchanan, good to have you with us today. Good to have the Sylvesters back. Good to have Brother Tom and Sister Kim. Back today. God bless you. Good to have all of you here today. Good to have Brother Ron here, and each and every one, may the Lord bless you. Uh, it was the, uh, the last event that we had, and it was an enjoyable event when we uh, talked about the subject of marriage. And uh, since we, you know, have not been able to have many events like that over this last year, it's been kind of strange. It seems like about 10 years uh, since, since uh, last February. That's about how it feels, anyway, for me. Uh, because we've, in a sense, you know, so many, so many things have changed and we've not been able to have uh, events like we normally have. But uh, I thought today, just in my uh, uh, praying about the service today, I thought we would just go back and visit uh, this whole uh, subject of, of marriage and this meaning of, of love and marriage. And as you know from my Uh, from my way of doing things, I'd like to know exactly what, uh, you know, God intended when He made the statements He did about marriage right from the very beginning. And in the scripture, what did He, what did He mean when He put Adam and Eve together? And what did those words actually mean when He bound them together and, uh, told them that they should leave and cleave? And all those words are important. They're very, uh, they're very uh, critical words. And they're very much misused or misinterpreted today. It's like the meanings got twisted around today. So love today, it it very uh, realistically, it means something different than how God intended it in the very beginning. So I want to just work through this this morning just to see how far we can go. And uh, I just trust that what is said will be a blessing to you today and uh, be a help to you. And for all of you uh, married couples that are here uh, specifically, I'm sure you'll probably get a little something out of this. Uh, For all of you young people that are here uh, who are not married, this is the kind of thing where you would definitely want to make notes and uh, learn everything you possibly can so that when you get uh, to that point in life, your marriage will be perfect. Okay? So this is the prescription for the perfect marriage. Let me just drop a little comment here about our text that we read. And John uses this word. He says, Beloved, he says, let us love one another, for love is of God. Verse 9, though, he gives us a hint at what that word love in Scripture really means. Now, again, we're paying attention to what the Scripture defines when it comes to this word love in marriage. And this is the way that God defines love all the way through. It is, in in this was manifested the love of God toward us. When we talk about the fact that love is, uh, that we should love one another, God said, and this is the way he loved us. He gave us his son. He did not uh, say, well, I just have a fuzzy feeling when I get around you. Or when you have a nice song service and I move among you, that's, you know, I feel like I love you. God's definition of love is based on an action. And it means, it's very closely tied to the word Give. And so loving and giving are two things that are very much tied together. So let's follow that as we go through it in the, in the scripture. Now, Brother Branham uh, makes a comment in the, in the Hebrew series, and he says, Marriage is honorable, but it should be entered prayerfully and reverently. And genuine love for that woman will bind you together forever. What you bind on the earth, you may get stoop-shouldered and bald-headed, wrinkled-faced and everything else, and half the congregation said, But she'll love you just like you did when you stood with wide shoulders and curly hair. if it's really God. For you're looking to the time when you've crossed the river yonder, when you'll spring back again to young men and women to live together forever. That's God's eternal promise. So when Christians get married, when believers get married, we get married for something other than just what we see in the natural realm or on this outside realm. We're looking for character, we're looking for something above that, we're looking for our eternal mate in glory. How many can say amen? Because time has a way of wreaking havoc on most of us. And so the question is, is can love last a lifetime? And we've dealt with that question lots and lots of times in lots of different uh, situations over the years. How do we make love last a lifetime? It, it's usually not a hard thing to get a couple of young people to the altar, because they our culture puts a lot of emphasis on, on the wedding and on the, uh, you know, the, the, the time of getting together and it's a joyous time. And there are few conflicts that occur in the, in the, in the courtship phase of life. And the first uh, honeymoon phase of the marriage is usually pretty joyful and pretty smooth going. But... That's not the challenge. It's not, just like it's not hard to be a Christian or act like a believer here in this congregation today because you're surrounded by people who believe uh, the same way. It's when you're out in the field. It's when you're out in the trenches. That's when it's more challenging to act like a believer. Isn't that right? To maintain your Christian faith, it's harder when you're out there in the world <coughs> and you're bombarded <coughs> excuse me, by temptations and trials out there. Well, in the same way, that marriage often has a smooth beginning, but uh, eventually life kicks in, right? So therefore, uh, there are things that happen in life that are going to cause certain strains and certain maybe differences of opinion. Uh, there may not always be enough money to go around. And eventually, the little children that you brought home from hospital that uh, you thought were absolute little bundles of joy, they grew up and they turned into teenagers. And then you were looking for the exit pretty soon after that. But Brother Branham is telling us here, he's telling us that if it's really God, there's something that exists between a a man and a woman that that causes them to remain strong and remain together over the years, to endure the sacrifices and to endure uh, the the dark uh, seasons that you go through. And sometimes those seasons are seasons of sickness or change or kids leaving home and in-laws and different things like that that happen. And so we have to deal with all of it because it's all a part of life. But I will tell you, through all of it, God uses those things to teach us and to shape us and to mold us so that we'll become better people at the end of all of that than we were at the beginning. So God had an intent in marriage. But let's look at uh, some of the things that uh, we want to focus on this morning here. And this was a a cover of Time magazine a number of years ago. And the question was how to stay married because uh, divorce has always been uh, pretty high, pretty common in our culture it's always been uh, roughly around the 40-50% in the last 100 years, last 70 years, always been roughly in that 40 to 50% range. And so the question is is they were asking here and this was uh, important enough for them to put on the cover of Time magazine, how do you stay married? We know how to get married, but how do you stay married? That's the challenge. So let me read to you from this article that they put there on the front of time, most Americans of every stripe will want to get married, even even millennials. I didn't write that. Although they're waiting until they get older, millennials are waiting until they get older before they get married. To aid them in their search, businesses have donated mill- billions of dollars and thousands of gigabytes to mate seeking. So if you can't find one literally, you can click through and and find one uh, electronically. Lawyers have spent countless hours arguing that people should be able to marry whomever they choose of any gender. Yeah, really hasn't helped a great deal, but nonetheless it happens. Techies have to refine recommendation engines so that people can more accurately find their perfect other half. In many ways, getting married is now easier than it ever has been. But staying married and doing so happily is more difficult. This is where the challenge comes in. While divorce rates have been dropping among all ages since the 1980s, there's one exception, and that's with older people. Divorce rates among this group are up, and they're up dramatically. A report in 2014 found it has doubled among people 50 and older in the past two decades. More than more men over 65 are divorced than widowed. Let me say that again. In 2014, a report found that, the number of, uh, of older people, over 50 years old, have doubled in the past two decades. That's pretty interesting. And more men over 65 are divorced than widowed. Interesting. In addition, their careers made it simpler, make it simpler, for them to imagine life without a spouse. They have their own income, a network of friends and associates and their own retirement savings. And when people go home after work, their networks go with them. Social media has made it much easier to seek support and conversation elsewhere than in a spouse. But what's the trick once you're hitched? One constant is to avoid contempt at all costs. And by contempt... We mean more than making derogatory remarks about a person, partner's desirability or their earning power. It's also communicated by a constant interruption, dismissal of their concerns or withdrawal from conversation, and I'd like to add disrespect. So contempt and disrespect are very close cousins. Contempt say therapists uh, sets off a lethal chain reaction, and it kills vulnerability, among other things. Vulnerability is a prerequisite for intimacy. And without intimacy, commitment is a grind. And without commitment, there is no security within the marriage. One more. How do we avoid it? How do we avoid this trap? And how do we make marriages last a long time, especially later in life? There are two main antidotes. The first, as obvious as it sounds, is to figure out what specifically makes your partner feel loved. And the other is to learn to apologize properly and to forgive. Those two things are good. I might add these things are good. This is in Time magazine. So they've got, you know, at least a little bit of insight into some of the proper responses that couples should have towards one another. But I will tell you what, that even though uh, those things are are sound things to have in a relationship, I believe that you're still going to need more than just that in order to have your marriage be successful and thrive. Disagreements are inevitable and healthy, so learning to fight fair is essential. Resentment is one of contempt's chief co-conspirators. You cannot uh, realistically have a marriage where there is no disagreements. Disagreements actually are good within a relationship because, number one, it's realistic, and number two, it helps to call out things, it helps to filter out things that uh, don't work. When you have a disagreement, so for instance, if I uh, say something or make a decision and my wife really doesn't like it and she gets upset at that, then I've learned something, right? Without disagreements, we would never learn things. Some of you, by your expressions, are learning lots of things. The, prop, the, the, the goal is to be able to have disagreements and not have them uh, rooted in bitterness in a person's heart so that they're constantly brought up and they're constantly regurgitated again, uh, to be able to move on and to be able to learn from the disagreements so that we can grow uh, and move forward from that. I put this up last year, a married man's prayer. Dear God, you gave me childhood and you took it away. You gave me youth and you took that away. You gave me a wife and it's been years now and I'm just reminding you. Here's Brother Branham again, kinsman, redeemer. And when a man loves a woman and marries her because she's pretty, when he marries her because she's just pretty, there would be an end to that. But when a man finds a woman that he loves, he don't know why, but he loves her, and she finds the man that she loves no matter what he looks like, he loves her, she loves him. That's an eternal maiden glory. Now, remember now, it's based on more than just looks, right? Because looks are going to fade, they're going to change. There's got to be something beyond that natural uh, perspective. He said, because they are from eternity and they stepped out into the space of time and will return back into eternity again. There's just some way that you know that you know that that's the right person for you. And a woman that's beautiful, that beauty will fade just as sure. He said, just give it a few years. And time has a way of wreaking havoc On all of us. The playwright, Thornton Wilder, said it this way. He said, I don't marry you because you're perfect. He said, I married you because you gave me a promise. And that promise, he said, makes up, made up for your faults. And the promise I gave you made up for mine. Two imperfect people got married and it was the promise that made the marriage. And when our children were growing up, it wasn't a house that protected them. And it wasn't our love that protected them. It was, it was that promise. It was that commitment to a vow. Isn't that right? And that vow is a very important thing. And that's why I have always encouraged and we've always taught over the years that uh, it's really important for young people not to enter into vows until they're absolutely sure that this is the person that God has uh, chosen for them. And they have that assurance, not just a hope. But they have an assurance that that's the person that uh, God has for them. Because there are times when it's just the promise that's going to be the thing holding everything together. The vow that we've made to one another, that's the thing that's going to be holding everything together. Because, hey, human beings are human beings and sometimes there are stresses and sometimes there are strains and all those different things that happen uh, over time. And the vow, the promise is a very important thing. How many of you would agree? And the Bible says, from the in the beginning, the middle, and the end of the, the, the Scripture, uh, it's, it's there reiterated, and God says very clearly, it's better for you never to make a vow than for you to make a vow and break it. So be careful as you enter into that. And a person, uh, they should never enter into it and, and assume that, all right, there's things about this situation or this person I don't like, and I'll fix them all after uh, we get married. I'll fix them all after. I've had people tell me that. Uh, I, I realize this and this, but you know what? Uh, there'll be lots of time after the wedding. And what they didn't realize is that uh, when they walked up the aisle and walked back down the aisle, they were not a different person when they walked back down the aisle. Some of you wives are shaking your heads. You know exactly what I'm talking about. So Paul writes these uh, these words, and he says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. This is Paul now dealing with uh, the bride and Christ. But he says, nevertheless... In, in the end of this passage, he said, Nevertheless, so let a husband love her, his wife and so forth. And he, he, he's talking about the relationship that Christ now has with the church, as you know this. And he says, but I, I want to add this. He said, the, the two are so closely paralleled. The two are so closely aligned that we can take the principles of one and apply it to the other as well. So the spiritual relationship and a natural relationship between a husband and wife, he said we can take those things and compare them through verses like this. And so Paul is teaching about this relationship uh, with Christ. And he says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. And that's what we both have to do, husband and wife. Just like the church and Christ, we submit ourselves to one another. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he's the savior of the body. Husbands love this verse. And therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. So that's what the Scripture teaches us, right? Let me give you an example of what that looks like. And I picked out uh, this story back in the Old Testament. Do you remember the story of Abigail and David and uh, uh, the, uh, the situation uh, back there where uh, Abigail's husband, uh, was a, he was known as a, a churlish man. And, uh, he was a great planter, great wealthy man, and did not, uh, did not include David when it came to the feast of, of the shearing of the sheep, and spreading the spoils, and so forth. And we find, uh, in, in this story, and I'm just gonna hit a few highlights for you, it says that there was a man and man whose possessions were in Carmel, and the man was very great, and he had three thousand sheep and a thousand goats, and he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. And the name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife was Abigail. She was a woman of good understanding and a beautiful countenance. But the man was churlish. In other words, he was a fool, according to the scripture, and evil in his doings, and he was of the house of Caleb. Now, you remember the story that when uh, uh Abigail finds out that, uh, her husband is, is not going to, Nabal's not gonna share with David. Uh, she takes a bunch of gifts and food items and goes out and meets David, uh, because they're coming to, to, uh, take Nabal's life. They're, they're quite upset. This is a real slap in the face for David and all of his men. And so Abigail goes out with these gifts and the Bible says that she bowed herself to the ground before David and she began to appeal to him to make the right decisions she said you don't want to do something that you're going to regret for the rest of your life but you want to you want to hold back you want to reserve yourself here and uh, don't nabal is a man who's he doesn't think very clearly and all the rest of it and so just leave him alone uh, let god deal with him and she begins to uh, plead with david that uh, he would pass by uh, this this uh, act of destruction here And so she says to David that this shall be no grief unto thee, nor offense of heart unto my Lord, either that thou hast shed blood causeless, or that my Lord hath avenged himself. But when the Lord shall have dealt with my Lord, then remember thine handmaid. So let's let God work this out. That was her message to David. Don't you have blood on your hands. Just let let God work it out. And she brought gifts to David to hold him back. David's sitting there on his horse or on his camel and he's looking at Abigail and he said to her, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, which sent thee this day to meet me, and blessed be thy advice, and blessed be thou, which thou hast kept me this day from coming to shed blood and from avenging myself with mine own hand. He said, You've counseled me correctly. He said, You've given the right advice. Now, Abigail, and I need you to understand that Abigail eventually becomes David's wife. But at this particular point, she does not appeal to David to say, take me and rescue me from this churlish man. But she rather takes the attitude of standing by her man. And she's willing to say, even when Nabal doesn't do the right thing, and even when I do not agree with what Nabal is doing, David, I'm not here to become your wife. I'm not here to become your girlfriend. I'm not here to become anything else other than the wife of Nabal and give you good advice here because it's going to reflect on your character and your reputation and so forth. And so let me let me just give you this uh, uh, admonition here. And she does. And David recognizes that as a woman of real character. And let me tell you something. When... When Paul writes those words that uh, we should submit ourselves one to another and the husband is the head of the wife, Abigail, to me, she demonstrated that in a great way because she had a lot of reasons to leave a guy like Nabal. She had a lot of reasons to back away from him and to leave his household, but she didn't do it. Now, I'm not talking about a situation like abuse or uh, something criminal, or I'm not talking about that. But there are times when sometimes husbands will do things that absolutely drive their, hus- their wives crazy, right? And some of your sisters are very politely, just, I can see the very slight nods of their heads. And just saying, finally, Brother Barry, preach it, just go ahead and lay into it there And if we left over every disagreement, if we, if we broke this relationship up over every disagreement, then we, 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 we would actually be violating Ephesians chapter 5. And so we make ourselves attractive in the Lord by obeying commands like Ephesians chapter 5. We make ourselves attractive by obeying God's word. Because David looks at her and he realizes, hey, not only is this woman beautiful and she's of, uh, you know, nice countenance and so forth, but he recognizes a character in her, recognizes an integrity in her. That even when she had the opportunity to leave Nabal and to, uh, you know, endear herself to a person like David, she doesn't do it and she doesn't give any pretense about that at all. She just says, hey, this is my husband, this is, this is, this is the decision that he's making. And David, I want you not to have blood on your hands, so if I were you, I would draw back from this situation of confronting Nabal. Leave it alone and draw back. And David never forgets the fact that she did this and made the, made the counsel and the advice that she did. And to me, that's an example of somebody who fulfills exactly what Paul writes here, that even when we don't always feel good, even when we don't always agree, even when the seasons of life will change, I'm still committed to this person because I've made a vow. And that vow was before God, first of all, right? And that vow and that promise is critical. It is important. And I think it's a very commendable thing that Abigail did what she did in this instance right here. Martin Luther made this statement. He said, let the wife make the husband glad to come home and let him make her sorry to see him leave. Let me say it again. Let the wife make the husband glad to come home. And let him make her sorry to see him leave. I think that's a good piece of advice. So, going back to the scripture here, uh, emphasis in the Old Testament was on more of a lifelong commitment than it was on an emotional feeling. If we live in a a hallmark world, everything's got to be concluded in 90 minutes, right? Right? All the disagreements, all the misunderstandings, all the mistakes, all got to be cleared up in 90 minutes, and we got to get these two to the altar. And uh, a lot of it is just based on, uh, you know, the feelings that we have. I mean, a lot of our entertainment is all based on the feelings that we have. That was not God's intent in the very first. In the very very first, it was more on making a commitment to a person than it was on just an emotional feeling. So a person knows that this is the right uh, spouse for me. A person knows uh, that this is the right arrangement for me, no matter where it takes me, no matter what I have to do. And if we're not ready to do that, then we should really be praying about drawing back from that relationship while we can. I believe that premarital counseling, uh, in, in a sense, we've kind of missed the boat a little bit. And this is just my own personal view here. Uh, very often, pastors will get involved in premarital counseling after a couple's engaged. And in reality, that's too late. Because they've already made a vow. I think it'd be more sensible, really, to talk to a couple before they're at that point, just before they're at that point. Uh, but here's the problem. If you get a couple who are almost at that point, and you sit them down and say, now, listen, we know where this is going, she's going to say, really?
2: Yeah.
3: All right, you might not have got that, but... But I believe that counsel is best given before any commitment is made. Counsel is best given before commitments are made. Because when we make commitments before God, those commitments matter. So the Old Testament uh, Hebrew and the language there, love was meant to blossom and mature as you spend years weaving a family together, family life together, uh, as you raise children and grandchildren together. Uh, love was being able to love someone for who they are, and who they were, and who they will be. So over time, uh, those those feelings, uh, you know, those feelings uh, come and go. Those feelings grow between a couple. But God's intent from the very beginning uh, was that this person is willing to commit to this relationship with this particular person. Brother Branham says in 1958, that's the reason. I'm going a little quickly here as I want to get somewhere. That's the reason that you have so many scruples in marriage is because you go out and see some girl with pretty blue eyes, pretty figure, and you fall for her. First time she has her first baby, teeth comes out, she gets wrinkled and old, and then you want to kick her out. I'm glad he said this. And some of you find some little boy with hair slicked down and curly. He said, it'll fall out. You fall for that. You ought to pray first because a woman is a part of you. And if you've embraced a woman to your bosom and taken her for your wife, she makes an imprint on you and any other woman against that bosom won't fit that print. And God will hold you responsible for it. So this is something that God watches over even after a couple is married. This is something that's very important. Now, so let's just study the words for a minute. And and we don't want to get too technical into this. But... Just to give you an idea that uh, in the Old Testament, we have English translations of the English phrases there. and We read it all the time. But in the, uh, in the, when you start to peel back the layers of some of the, uh, the words that are back in the Old Testament, it gets really interesting as far as their meaning goes. Let me give you an example. Exodus chapter 3. Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel... Ye shall say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you, and you shall say to them, They shall say to me, What is, what is his name? Who sent you? So this is Moses at the burning bush. He's going down, and he's saying to God, What, what, is, what is the name of this one who is sending me now uh, to Israel? And what shall I say unto them? And God simply said to him, I am that I am. And he said, Thou shalt, thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am. Has sent me unto you. Now, this has been a really uh, unique uh, phrase for Jewish scholars and the writers of the Hebrew Bible to figure out. It's it's not a it's not a simple word for word translation. So there is the phrase in the Hebrew language right there. And as you remember, we read from the uh, from the left or from the right to the left. That's the way we read Hebrew, and you can see that. If the phrase was I am and I am, then you'd have two letters on one side and two letters on the other side. But there's another letter in there uh, on, that, on that far word over here. And so there's a bit of a difference here. And so this has been a, 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 a kind of a real puzzle for uh, Hebrew translators. And it kind of literally means, although there's no literal translation, I will be who I will be or I will cause to be what I will cause to be. And there's all kinds of phrases like this where they were trying to actually explain what this phrase actually means because it re- it reflects the name of God. The name of God is a very uh, sacred thing to Jews. So all I'm doing is just saying that uh, when it comes to the Hebrew language, there's, sometimes you had to ponder deeply about what the meanings really are. You remember I showed you this a while back. The word love is something that's found all the way through Scripture. And in Hebrew, it is the word ahava. In the New Testament, we find eros, agape, and filial love. Those are common words for the, uh, for the meaning of love. We've, we've uh, talked about those over the years. But this word, ahava, it literally means to give. When you take these uh, consonants here, and vowels don't matter as much in the Hebrew language as you remember, the H and the V and the H, it, it means to give. So God so loved the world, he gave his only son. That's what the word give means, and from our text. And we love one another. The word Sheba, it means love and affection. And another example would be this word of obligation or to give. We find those Hebrew letters recurring again. So let's take an example for a moment here. In Deuteronomy 6 and 5. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. That's the uh, phrase in Deuteronomy 6 and 5. Here it is in Hebrew. I don't have my pointer. I got this pointer. So this, is, this phrase right here is the literal translation of this right here. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God. What we find in this little phrase is this word right here. It, the, it looks like an NX. It's not an NX, but we speak English. And literally it translates A and Z. There's no English word for this. There's nothing at all that uh, helps us to understand what these two words mean in the Hebrew language. But let me explain it to you. It means that uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, that thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, intensely, eternally, with all that you have. This is what uh, This is what a person would love God with. That they would have everything in them. And this little phrase there, A to Z, it's kind of like from the beginning of the alphabet to the end of the alphabet. Everything you have and everything in between, you love God with all your heart. That's the highest kind of love there is, is a love where you have a commitment to God with all thy soul, all thy might, all thy heart. Everything you have, that's your first love and your chief love. How many can say Amen? This hasn't changed at all, folks. This is still the same exactly today. We love God with all of our heart. And that's why this little phrase is put in here, this NX, what it looks like A to Z. It means that when when we as, as Christians come to know God, we would love Him with all of our heart. And that's still the relationship God wants you to have with Him. Not to half love Him. And not to be sort of in love with Him. And not just to be a churchgoer. But He wants you to love Him with all of your heart. Because He loves you with all of His heart. He loves you with everything. He loves you enough to step from eternity and stand in a body like mine and die on the cross and bleed to death in the horrible way that He did. And it's all motivated on this word love. This A to Z. God loved us from, from, uh, you know, from eternity. He loved us because we were attributes of His. And He still loves us today. There's no ending of His love. How many would agree? So this is the highest form of love. And that's why they put that little phrase in there. In that passage. We find the same little phrase. Uh, phrase in Genesis 22 when the angel of the Lord called out to, out of heaven and said Abraham, Abraham and he said here am I now he's standing there with a the knife above Isaac's heart and he's about to slay Isaac because God told him to do it and he said lay not thine hand upon the lad neither do thou anything unto him for now I know thou fearest God seeing that thou hast not withheld thy son thine only son from me So he says, Abraham, I know that you love me with all of your heart, with the A to Z. I know that you have a complete love for me and a total love for me. And this is the phrase that God uses uh, to Abraham up there on the mountain there. That's the highest kind of a love that a person can have. Deuteronomy chapter 6, right? And so Abraham proves this love on the mountain there when he takes Isaac and he's going to sacrifice him because God told him to do that. Are you following me? And so he says, Abraham, that's the kind of love I'm looking for. That's the kind of love that a man should have towards God. That he would do everything, even if it seems like a paradox. Even though it may not make sense, because I told you, out of Isaac shall nations come, and out of his seed shall come multitudes, and so forth. And it doesn't make sense that Abraham would now slay uh, Isaac, but God tells him to do it, hey... God uh, Abraham knows that if, if Isaac dies on the top of that mountain, God's going to raise him up. God's going to resurrect him. That's why he called the place Jehovah-Jireh. God will provide. No matter what happens to Isaac, God's going to provide a seed that will come. Even if I don't understand it, I'm going to obey God because I love God. I'm going to give Him my all. I'm going to give Him my A to Z. I'm going to give Him everything that I have. How many can say Amen? So this is the idea that's conveyed in this passage of Scripture here. Now watch this. In Leviticus chapter 19, Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor. Now the same English word is here. We love God, we love our neighbor. Same English word. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, I am the Lord. Here's the literal translation. But we don't find that NX in here. We don't find that A to Z in here. Because... The love we have for our neighbor is not the same as the love we have for God. Are we okay? It's not not the same. It's not the same meaning. Same English word. You're going to love your neighbor. You're going to love God. Not the same way. I was out yesterday. We had since we were covered in ice uh, yesterday. I went over to my neighbor's house and they're elderly, and um, I, I just I had I found some. Uh, salt you know some safety salt in one of the stores there and so I, bu- I bought up some extra and I went around the neighborhood and I just walked up to my neighbor's house there and I said uh hey I got some salt if you're if you want I can spread some for you so you don't kill yourself when you go out because it, it's really treacherous you know and he's he, he's a real nice guy a real nice neighbors but he kind of looks at me like people don't do that anymore and he was thankful. He was very thankful for that. They didn't need the salt, but he was very thankful. But it was kind of like, "Are you wanting something in return for doing this?" I, I just said, "Hey, just checking on you. That's all. Just wanted to make sure that you were okay." But I, I didn't, I, I didn't give him an, an embrace. You know, I didn't, um, I didn't tell him I loved him. Uh, I, I don't have the same feeling for him as I do for God. Are we okay? And so. In English, the word is the same, spell the same, sounds the same. But in the Bible, it has a richer meaning. Are we okay when it comes to talking about God? And, and so therefore, it, it's, it's a loving action here in Leviticus 19. It's a loving action or the thing you would expect if the roles were reversed. So in other words, if, if I was elderly, and I'm not, because old is always five years older than what you are. I don't know if you knew that. But if the roles were reversed and he came over to me, that's the kind of treatment I would want to have. That's the thing that I would want to have somebody do for me. And you know what? I appreciate that. I, I would appreciate that. And he appreciated me coming over uh, and doing that for him. But, you know, I like I said, I didn't embrace him and give him a kiss on the cheek and, and uh, you know, uh, spend the rest of the day with him. I, I, I didn't do that. This is just what neighbors do. And that's what the meaning is of Leviticus 19. It's not the A to Z that is referred to. So, in John 3.16, the same idea is carried into the New Testament. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. When God uses the word love, you'll usually find the word give associated with it. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, and whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So God did not love us halfway. He did not love us kind of like a neighbor or somebody who is in your class. But He loved us enough to die for us. He had an A to Z feeling about you. And that's why He made the sacrifice for your sins so that you could come back in harmony with Him again. And that's the kind of love God had for us. And He, as a result, He did something about that. He gave He submitted Himself to this world in a body like He had in order to die on the cross. And that's the kind of love that He wants us to have back towards Him. The Bible says in Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church. Now remember, our chief love is for Christ, but tucked right underneath that is a love we should have for our spouse. Even greater than our family, even greater than your old school friends, right? Even the people on your social network, even the social network. When it comes to the order of love, and if we wanted to, we could make a list, but based on the order of love, let me tell you, my love for God should be first. Because you know what? I'm going to love my wife better if I love God more than her. Because if I love Him more and His Word, I'm going to make decisions that are in the best interest of my wife and my family all the time. Because I respect His Word enough to do that. Does that make sense? I'm going to be able to love my family better if I love God the most. It creates a love for His Word because I'll tell you what, God's ways are better than our ways. And I think it's better to live a Christian life than any other life that you could possibly live. And just by living by God's principles, it's going gonna, it's gonna to make your life better, and it's going to make the people around you better when you adhere to God's principles. I, let me tell you, that that's, that's just it just makes sense to me, that living, uh, loving God more than anyone else is going to help you love everyone else around you. But I'm going to love my wife differently than I'm going to love uh, my neighbor. I'm going to love my wife differently than I'm going to love even my children or my grandchildren. It's close. But I'm going to love my wife more than anyone else because I made a vow to her. And I believe, I believe that because the marriage relationship uh, is made through a vow, not through birth and not through association. You were born into your family through association. You didn't get a choice to join a family. Right? You didn't get a choice to join a family. You didn't get a vote, did you? God didn't say, alright, here's five families. Pick the one you like. He didn't ask you that, did He? All of a sudden you woke up and realized, boom, I'm a part of this family. How did this happen? What kind of sense of humor is this? Right? That's the way most of us wound up in our families here. Because god I guess God knew, hey, if I give Him a vote, it would be very different, wouldn't it? Very different. So as a result of that, there is... There is one relationship that's made by a vow, and that relationship has to be the one that I put my most energy into. Because, you know what? People will come and go. They'll love you and hate you, and they'll walk out, and some of you will never see them again, and things change. You move from one place to another. You lose contact with people, you know, through life. But I will tell you what. When it comes to your husband and wife, a relationship that's made by a vow... That's the one we have to be committed to. That's the one that we had to work at. So there's no greater love outside of a love for God that we should have for one another except that for our spouse. How many would you understand what I'm saying? Yes, we love our children. Sometimes, yes, we love our, even our teenagers. Yes, we love our grandchildren and all the other things around us. But I will tell you what, the Scripture doesn't say, Husbands, love your sons. It doesn't say love your daughters, like it does to say husbands love your wives. Now, this is the way John Gill, John Gill was an old commentator, uh, lived years ago, a very godly man, and he wrote this about that verse, Ephesians 5, strong and cordial affection, this is what he means by husbands love your wives, strong and cordial affection, real delight and pleasure in them, showing respect and honor seeking their contentment, satisfaction, and pleasure in a quiet, constant, and comfortable dwelling. Providing all things necessary for them, protecting them from all injuries and abuses, concealing their faults, and covering their infirmities, having the best opinion of their persons and actions, and endeavoring to promote their spiritual good and welfare. This love, he said... Ought to be hearty and sincere. This is husbands, love your wives. This love ought to be hearty and sincere. All the women said, and not feigned or hypocritical and selfish. It should be shown in private as well as in public. It should be chaste and single. In other words, designed for only one person. It should be constant and perpetual. It should exceed that which is born to neighbors or even to parents, though not as to hinder and break in upon the love to God and to Christ. I think that's a good way of summarizing that together. All right. Now, let me just, uh, let me just give you a little definition here. And the only reason I put this screen up is, here is just for your edification. The Torah is the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus... That's what God gave to Moses. The Torah is uh, very purely God's word. The Talmud, uh, in a sense, it's the book of Jewish law. And it's not directly God's word. It is, to a great extent, a practical book about how to apply the first five books of, of, of of the scripture. So the Talmud is a it's a, it's a very extensive uh, it's a very extensive writing about it's like a commentary if you like on the first five books of the Bible. Now we don't quote from uh, the Talmud and take it like scripture. Uh, to a Hebrew now, to a Jewish person, they they take the Talmud very seriously. They take both very seriously, and they write about these things. They debate about these things and so forth. But I'm not interested as much in the Talmud here as I am as the Torah, or in other words, what God actually said in the Old Testament, all right? But there are commentaries here that uh, describe how this is to be interpreted. So let's go back now. And without giving you a lot of Hebrew letters here, very quickly. Marriage in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew language, is, is viewed as a contractual bond commanded by God in which a man and a woman... Come together. It doesn't say two people. But it says a man and a woman who come together. Everybody with me? It doesn't just say two people. It says a man and a woman who come together to create a relationship in which God is directly involved. So God's idea from the very beginning is that He would be involved in this new relationship. That a man and a woman would come together and God was directly involved with that. In other words, God causes it. God inspires it. And then God regulates things in this relationship. That God uh, I- intervenes in that relationship. God hears things in that relationship. And of course, Genesis 1.28 talks about procreation and how that when a, a man and woman come together, they would multiply and replenish the earth. Marriage is understood to mean that husband and wife are merging into a single soul, which is why a man is considered incomplete if he's not married as his soul is only one part of a larger whole that remains to be unified. So that's the meaning in the Hebrew Bible, that, that this, is a, uh, this is two individuals here that are now becoming one soul, and a man is considered incomplete if he's not married. Now, prior to a marriage, though, is this season that we refer to as engagement. And in the law, it means that a person, two persons, would be entering into an agreement where they mutually promise to marry each other and and the terms on which it takes place. They create a document of conditions, and that's actually a real uh, writing that they have. And and all it is is portions of the law. And then the mothers break a plate to ratify the document. I thought that was interesting. My wife wouldn't like to do that. She doesn't like to break plates. But whenever there's an agreement that a, a boy and a girl get engaged and it's and it's sealed, uh, and they agree that all right, you know, this girl is going to come home and live in her father's house for a year, and then she would, uh, you know, go to be married to her husband. Then, when it's agreed and finalized, and everybody's yay and amen, and then the two mothers get up and they break a plate in front of everybody, and uh, that settles the deal. that be that'd be interesting. Now, this betrothal and marriage are two steps of the same thing. They're two parts of the same thing. The betrothal, it changes the couple's interpersonal status. So, they go from a single woman now to a woman who is betrothed. Their status actually changes. And it involves the man giving the woman something of value, like a document or a ring or something valuable. Gold, uh, some sort of a, what we refer to as a dowry, some, some symbol of the commitment. It wasn't always a ring. But sometimes a husband would, he would make a declaration. He would take his pen out and he would write a commitment to this girl. Now, I think that's, I think that's a good idea. I mean, that's a lot cheaper than a ring to do that. I mean, you could get nice paper and a nice pen and do it. I think that would be nice. But... I don't know where we got lost on that one. The marriage ceremony, though, it establishes the legal consequences of the change in status. So they legally then uh, are, are different. In other words, this woman, she, she becomes a part of this man and his family and her name is changed. The ceremonies normally were separated by a year. She prepares for this. Uh, her parents help her prepare. But it legally becomes a new entity, a new family once they actually have this marriage ceremony. What's interesting is that when a couple is a betrothed or engaged, or they're in this season that we refer to as courtship, then the laws of adultery applied. So if a man was unfaithful during that time of betrothal, he would be guilty of adultery. During that time, the same laws of adultery applied because, in the eyes of God, and this is why vows are important, and for young people, that's why it's important for you to understand that when you make, uh, start making promises to a girl or a girl to a boy, that God views that even more seriously, sometimes I think, than we do. Because once those if those vows are violated and if and if their life is uh impure after their betrothed, God looks at that as adultery. I mean this, I'm just telling you this is the way it was in the Old Testament, all right? The marriage cannot be dissolved without a religious divorce. And only after the marriage can the couple live together. The chupa is the marriage. Only after that can they live together. So they had to uh, remain apart for that year or that agreed time until they got together and uh, then they could be together. You know, it's really something because uh, in, uh, in modern-day Israel, uh, there are uh, still very much these Hebrew laws that uh, uh, holds, uh, hold sway in the country because it's a, a land that is uh, very much uh, formed by Hebrew and by the Old Testament laws. And so there's a lot of people in Israel who actually go outside the country and get married and then come back in again so they would consider themselves to be exempt from the laws of, of Scripture. Because the civil laws in Israel are not as, not as seriously considered as biblical laws, even today. That civil laws come second place to divine law. And it's because they know that God truly meant what he said when it came to relationships. So if they were engaged, there's a certain code of conduct that they had to live by. And they couldn't violate that. Or God, you know, brought penalties for that. Uh, the the law was very clear. And you know what, I, I think I think today, as old fashioned as it sounds, and as much as some people may not want me to say it, I still think that it is a good thing for us to be not only sensitive to, but obedient to the laws of Scripture when it comes to relationships and making vows. There are ways that God has specified. There are things that God has declared. There are things that God loves and God blesses, and there are things that He doesn't like. And as I've been telling you in some of the other uh, sermons that we've done, Brother Brown cautioned us. He said, you don't want to make Scripture conform to your thinking or your heart or your desire. You've got to let your heart wrap around the Scripture. And I will tell you what, if a person learns to do that, as hard as it is, if a person learns to do that, then God can bless that person and the choices that they make, even though the choices are not always easy. And it is especially tough in this area of relationships because a lot of times we're fooled by or blinded by the feelings of human love. Human love is a very deceptive thing. There's a lot of young people who would feel like, well, I, I love them so much, I mean, I get the tingles every time I stand next to them, and uh, so it must be God's will. Well, you know what? There are certain situations where it might not be God's will just because of how you feel, Right? It's nice to have the feeling, and I think we should have the feeling, but I think it's also better for us as Christians, as believers in God's Word, to make sure we conform to God's ways of doing things. How many would agree? As popular as it's not, I think it's still in season. Because you know what? He says, I am the Lord and I change not. When it comes to the household, a man had to love his wife as he loves himself and honor her more than he honors himself. He actually had to give her more honor than his hunting rifle and more honor than uh, his bank account and all the rest of it. The Talmud forbid a husband from being overbearing or abusive in his household and domestic abuse was unheard of. It was not even considered. It was said of a wife that God counts her tears. So, according to the Old Testament law, and I'm, all, I'm, not, I'm, I'm going to move on from here in just a moment here. But according to Old Testament law, there was minimum provisions. I put this in for you fellas here because I thought you'd like this. There are certain provisions that a man had to make for his wife. This is the minimum level, okay? This is the lower level of provisions. Guys, you should, this is where you want to make notes especially, okay? First thing, he had to provide enough bread for at least two meals a day in his household. He had to make sure he brought that much home. This is, obviously they didn't have bacon, so this is bringing home the bacon. Sufficient oil for cooking and lighting. And three, there had to be sufficient wood for cooking. That's a challenge if you live in a desert. Fruit and vegetables. Wine, if customary. You don't need to record that one. Three meals on the Sabbath. Fish and meat were normally included. They had to have an al- make sure their wife got an allowance of a silver coin each week. I like this. And one hat, one belt, and three pairs of shoes annually. And all the men said, Amen. <laughs> a lot of you guys are scared to death to say Amen. I can see you. The reason that they got three pairs of shoes was because there were three major feasts in the Jewish year. Passover and so forth. And so they they had uh, they were allowed to have uh, a new pair of sandals or shoes for each one of those times maybe went to Jerusalem. And, you know, uh, you're moving among some people in Jerusalem, and so you want to have new shoes and, and uh, a new belt and a new hat and all the rest of it. But anyway, that's the minimum provisions that a fellow had to provide for his wife. Now, I mean, I I like this. I don't know about you, but I'd be willing to adopt this even. If I could get some support, but I don't think I'm going to get much support. So the idea is, is just simply that uh, there, is, there is an obedience to God's law. There's an obedience to God's way of doing things that is taken very seriously seriously. Right for the Old Testament, right for the very beginning, when God wanted men to uh, men and, and women to leave their own household and to cleave together and come together, it was intended. It was fully intended for them to uh, operate within the laws of the boundaries that God had provided there, and to to let the vow, to let the promise, let that be the thing that uh, governed governed that household, because our feelings rise and fall our feelings come and go and so therefore we are not we're not going to judge the duration of our marriage just based on how we feel just on how good things are going we are committed to one another and I think it doesn't hurt in our culture. I don't think it hurts in our church. I don't think it hurts among believers in the message even because uh, it's interesting, you know, the, the uh, circumstances that arise now even within the message and, uh, you know, the different, uh, different cases that I've heard, different things that I've heard. I don't think it hurts for us to preach commitment first and commitment till death do us part. I know some of you are from different backgrounds and different experiences and I respect that and I'm not uh, casting off on that at all. I'm just saying that in a new generation coming up, and this is what Brother Branham told his congregation, you remember when in marriage and divorce when God extended forgiveness to people and he said, you're forgiven but don't do it again. I think our responsibility is to teach that generation coming up, to make the right decisions so that we don't fall into the traps for the wrong reasons and Hey, lots of people, you know, all the different, uh, you know, d- different circumstances and people marrying people from different cultures and, uh, and all the, the things Brother Bram said about race and all the rest of it. Hey, I, I, th- I think we should be proactive in teaching our young people to make the right decisions that God can bless, that God can breathe on, and God, and, and, and be absolutely uh, confident that they're in the center of God's will. Brother Bram said, I've constantly done my best to try in, in disagreeing with men in religious terms, but if I couldn't take their hands afterward, he said, no matter, no matter how sharp the thing might be, and taking a hold of their hands and say, this is in the light of a better understanding between us, and still the love of that person, but not just say it from my, heart, my lips, but from my heart, that I'm no subject to go out and try to talk to people, because we must do that. We must love this person. And going out amongst all kinds of classes of people, different cults and clans and religions, maybe sometimes men get real sharp, but if I get one thought that I didn't like that person, then I know one thing, that the Spirit of Christ has departed from me. And if I can feel like I didn't like that person, there's something wrong with me, because we must do that, we must love that person. May not always be the, I may not be their best friend, and I may not uh, you know, want to spend all my time with them, but at least I can forgive and I can move on. He said, let's discuss it, not from your creed or from your book of ethics, but from the scripture. He says, let's discuss that. And maybe sometime men get up real sharp, and if I get one thought, I didn't like that person, I know something that the Spirit of Christ has departed from me. And he says, that would be wrong. If I can feel like that, I didn't like that person, there's something wrong with me. So when it comes to the duration of marriage, I thought this was very interesting. Interesting. Back in 2013, there was a very interesting burial that took place in Washington. Sergeant First Class Joseph Gant was a soldier who fought in World War II, and he fought also in the Korean War. And after serving one year in Korea, he was captured. And a year after his capture, he died in North Korea. And the North Koreans said nothing about him. They said nothing about where he was. They wouldn't give uh, the American government any information about what had happened to him in battle and in prison. There was absolutely nothing that was uh, declared at all. And during that that, uh, time since the Korean War, his wife, who is pictured here, her name is Clara Gantt, she hung on for her husband because she never knew whether he was alive or dead. And he had said that, honey, if I go overseas in battle and something happens to me, he says, I want you to make sure uh, that you marry somebody else. And she said, no, no, these are her exact words, here I am. She said, I am your wife and I'm going to remain your wife until the day that the Lord calls me home. And so all those years, from the Korean War until uh, 2013, she waited for news about her husband because she never knew whether he was alive or not. And finally the North Korean government sent word that he had died a year after his uh, arrival in North Korea back uh, in the 1950s. And so she had waited all of those years for him. They brought his remains back, and there's a picture there of them uh, the the servicemen there giving him full honors. And when she was 92 years old, they brought her to Washington uh, to observe the the interment of her husband and his remains. Her, Her passion was, she said, I had no interest in marrying somebody else. He told me I could. But she said, No. She said, I'm yours until the Lord calls me home. True love, to me, is not transient. True love is something that is a commitment. That's not based on anything else. Not, it's not based on always wanting to be happy. It's not based on uh, just, a, you know, a, a circumstance. It's not a casual commitment. But to me, true love is a foundation for the deep and meaningful. And I will tell you something, saints of God, that's exactly the way that we want to operate when it comes to our relationship with Christ. We don't want to have this thing fade away. We don't want to have this thing, uh, you know, we don't want to become two disinterested parties and drift apart. But we want to make sure the relationship is good and better and committed for life because that's the way we want it. Not only to the end of this life, but we want it throughout all eternity. Let's stand to our feet. So the goal always is to love each other like he loved us. The goal is always to be committed because the promise is, is the promise is critical. The promise is eternal. God is good. God designs things his way. Because he he wants what's always best for us. He wants what's always the very best thing that we could have in this life. And I believe that what we have in this life is a reflection of what we will eventually have when we cross over on the other side. Let's just just sing together. Let's just worship him just a little uh, this morning here before we go. Uh, Father in heaven, we love you. We lift your name in all the earth. Let's sing together.
4: Father in heaven, we love you. We lift your name in all the earth. May your kingdom be established in our praise. your people declare your mighty words blessed please.
3: Her grandson with her today. We're going to pray for him. And he's just a great little guy, but he's got some problems when it comes to eating. And um, got some physical issues there that are uh, causing them to have to get a specialist involved. And uh, Sister Karen knows that God's a healer. And so she asked this morning if we could pray for her. what's his first name again? Lincoln. We're going to pray for Lincoln this morning. Lincoln's not too happy about being here this morning, up here anyway. but we're going to anoint him with oil and pray for him. So would you pray as well? and just ask God's healing touch on him. Heavenly Father, we just pray for Lincoln now as we anoint him with oil in the name of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we believe that you love the little ones. We believe, Lord, that you care about all they go through. Lord, you brought him into the world for a reason. And Lord, this family now is hurting because Lincoln, Lord, has got some complications. But we know, Father, that you're still a healer today, the same as you ever were. And so we commit Lincoln now into your hands and pray that you would just give him that healing touch, Lord, that only you can give. You are a great physician. And Lord, we're asking now that you would just come and take complete control and you would guide the hands of the doctors and the nurses and all who attend to this little boy. And Lord God very best thing we can do is just lift him before your throne of grace and mercy, Lord, and just lay him at your feet and just ask you, Lord, in your mercy just to come and touch him and help him to be completely well. May he grow to be a real strong young man, someone that loves you and wants to serve you. Father, we commit him in your hands. We dedicate him to you, Lord. Pray that you would not only touch him but touch his family as well. We ask these things, Lord because we believe that you care about the little ones. We ask these things, Lord, because you made a provision for our healing by the stripes you bore. We ask it all in Jesus Christ's name. God bless you, Lincoln. Amen.
4: Amen. Praise the Lord. I stand, I stand. God, all praise is due. I stand in awe of you. Yes, I stand in awe of you.
3: First for me to ever have dedicated twins, and for several days I've thought about how I'm going to do it. Morgan, maybe you could help me do this, okay? We are delighted and honored uh, today to be able to dedicate these children uh, to the Lord, and uh, the Cockmans are foster parents. Uh, These children were uh, given to them at birth, I guess, straight from the hospital. And their, uh, their name is Coffee. So it's a good name. And uh, they've been put into the hands of the Cochmans, and uh, they're great caregivers and certainly have a big heart. And probably have a bigger heart now, uh, having twins and all the commitments that are involved. But uh, we're going to just dedicate them to the Lord this morning and want you to join in prayer together and just trust that the Lord will. Uh, bless them and allow all the As I, I believe if it's possible you'd like to be able to adopt these kids and expand the family a little bit bless your heart and uh, so we trust that all of that will go through smoothly and go through well it's happened before and it can happen again so, so let's read from uh, the book of Mark in chapter 10 we've read this many times and they brought young children to Jesus that he should touch them and his disciples rebuke those that brought them but when Jesus saw it he was much displeased and said unto them suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not for such is the kingdom of God and verily I say unto you whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child he shall not enter therein and he took them up in his arms and put his hands upon them and he blessed them and that's what he did so we are honored uh, today, and I'm, I'm sorry, I, have my, I don't have my sheet, so John, you're going to have to help me here with names. This is Michaela?
1: Michaela?
3: This, is this is Dalton. And Michaela. Look at this. Do you think I could do that? Are you, you confident enough in this? Look at this. Isn't that something? Three coffees. They're just precious. This is the one job about ministry that my wife would love to have, is this job right here. My, these are precious. We are so thankful for this opportunity to be able to to dedicate them. So I'm going to prolong this just a little bit. Why don't we sing?
4: Bible tells me so. Yes, Jesus loves me. Oh, The Bible,
3: Heavenly Father, as we bow in your presence today, Lord, and just have this honor to be able to dedicate these two little children back to you, Lord. We are so grateful and so thankful, Lord, that you bring such precious life into this earth. And Lord, we know that you have a design, you have a purpose. This is not by chance or by accident but Lord it is according to your design that life should come into the world in this way and so now in the name of Jesus Christ the very best thing we can do is dedicate them back to you now pray that you would make them strong in the Lord and Lord may they grow to be a young man young woman who love you with all of their heart and give their heart completely and solely to you Lord may they love you with a complete love a love that Lord transcends everything else because, Lord, that's what you designed. And so, Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray that you would just have your hand upon them. And, Lord, even though that the Cockman's now going through the process of uh, all the legal things, Lord, to bring these children into their family, we ask, Lord, that you would just take complete control of that process. Because, Lord, we can fill out papers and we can make our case. But, Lord, we believe you to be the righteous judge of all the earth. And Lord, we believe that you would desire to see the best thing possible happen to these two little children. So we commit brother and sister now into your hands and ask your blessing upon them. Bless the Cockmans, I pray. And Lord, the energy that this will require and the love they have in their hearts may continue to grow, that they might, Lord, love you most and love you first. But Lord, in doing that, we know that they will love their family as well and these two new little ones. I commit them to you. Pray that you would make the family strong through all of these changes, Lord. And may Father your spirit and your presence just be very welcome in their household. Bless them now abundantly, we pray. And bless these little ones in the name of Jesus Christ. We ask. Amen. And amen. Do I have two? So Morgan I have a question for you. What do I do if I have triplets? If someone has triplets, what do I what do I do? I wouldn't know what to do. Thank you. Let's sing it one more time.
4: Yes. Jesus loves me. Oh yes. My Jesus loves me. For the Bible tells Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for
3: this time together today. And Lord, may you just enrich every family that's represented here today, Lord. Husbands, wives, grandfathers, grandmothers. No matter what season of life we find ourselves in, Lord, we just want to find ourselves constantly holding your hand and looking to you. You're a God who cares. You're a God who loves us more than we could ever really fully understand. Now may you bless each family. Strengthen every family, Lord, we pray. Because when families are strengthened, Lord, the church is strengthened. And so the best thing we can do, Lord, is commit this body into your hands now. Have your way, we pray. Keep us safe. Keep us in your will. Keep us moving in the light of the hour. And Lord, we'll give you thanks and praise for all you do. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. And amen. And all God's people said, we're going to let you go this morning. I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice. Let's sing that this morning. I think it's C again. Nope. somewhere in there.
4: I love you, Lord. I lift my voice. Lord, and I lift my voice.
3: God bless you as you go this morning. To worship
4: you, oh.